Good evening. Do you believe in ghosts? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon... We're going to be talking uh, more vampires, but this time in leather jackets. So join the sleaze. <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for uh, the three years, uh, yeah. soon to be approaching four years at some point, which will be crazy. There's something like 90 to maybe even 100 bonus episodes waiting for you, as well as our bonus transmission series, where we talk about new release genre films, which there are a lot coming out, and you can expect a lot of uh, a lot of big ones that we're going to be talking about uh, this month alone. What do we got? We got Halloween Kills, we got Dune, we got Bond that we're going to see the weekend yeah. that you guys are listening to this. So Crazy, man. Uh, that interests you at all patreon.com slash uh sleezoids podcast and speaking of which we have a lot of patrons to thank this week a lot and i'm gonna have to rip through them unfortunately kind of fast because uh there are a lot of you so thanks so much to um flower kelpole b uh pat o'brien hawkind quail andrew m um Artyom Topolin. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> Habubala Khan, uh, Azekia Bates, Joshua Goolsby. I'm going to have to let Jamie give a shot at this at some point. Uh, Spencer Wilkie, uh, the Magic Bang Bus. Um, <laughs> Happy to have you thank on. Thank you. Uh, Frank, uh, Tim O'Connor, Adam Mosher, uh, Stephanie Monahan, Ophir Bernstein. Uh, Cameron Rogers, Adam uh, Hubsher, who upgraded from five dollars to ten month to ten dollars a month, and is going to be joining us for the monthly virtual screenings. Thanks to you, Adam. Robbie Claraval, uh, Beef two hundred and nine. <laughs> um, we're still going here. Chris McDonald, Joe Pristiani, uh, Ben McDonald, uh, Sid Beretta, Failed Exam. Hope that's what you were doing. Matthew, Brian E. Torgerson, Oscar Franco, Christian GC. I didn't realize how crazy of a month it was. Cooper Blask, uh, Uberlin Gizbar. That was brutal, too. John Hayes. And that's everyone. Uh, awesome. Huge. Wow. Uh, he, I mean, I think, I think we had a little bit of a break between recording, so that might be two or three weeks worth of names. But still, thanks so much for everyone signing up. I, I hope you guys are enjoying those bonus episodes. Yes. Um, the other plug for the week, as always, is Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and I see the stats, I know that you are. Give us a 
good old rating and review down at the bottom after you scroll down there. It helps us uh, climb the ranks at iTunes and find new listeners. And the last plug, uh, as always, is merch. If you guys like the uh, poster art that uh, local horror artist Trevor Henderson uh, did for the show for us, uh, you can get that basically put on anything you want. Uh, A shirt, a mug, a hoodie, a notebook, a pillow. We've uh, had people buy a little bit of everything. You can just get a poster if that's what you want. Jamie and I have one. Oh, yeah. Um, You can find that link in the description of this episode or over at sleazoidspodcast.com if that interests you at all. And that's it. Mouthful. Intro is done. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, uh, Josh Lewis. And joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks would have heard from us free listeners. We would have had a special guest, uh, Stephen uh, Sadak from the uh, We Hate Movies podcast uh, on the show. And we would have been talking, uh, one, Cat People, not the 1940s film, the 1980s film uh, remake by Paul Schrader, uh, which is uh, very uh, gross and erotic (laughs) and uh, features some uh, crazy sequences of people uh, turning into cats and tearing bodies to shreds and ripping arms off, and uh, (laughs) Paul Schrader falling in love with uh, Miss Kinski on screen and uh, uh, being denied her love very brutally. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Poor Paul. We paired that with another sort of uh, underrated 80s kind of uh, sci-fi under-the-skin genre hybrid action film, The Hidden, from (laughs) 1987, which was really, really crazy. And if you are interested at all in Kyle MacLachlan playing uh, a a very (laughs) alien-like FBI agent predating Twin Peaks... Um, the hidden is, uh, the way to go. We had a lot of fun talking with Steve, uh, with Steven about those films. And then last week we kicked off the very first episode of Spooktober 2021 listeners of the show for many years. will know that in October we do nothing but talk about horror films for the entire month. And, uh, we kicked it off in a, a fashion we typically like to do where we talked about some Italian horror. We went back, uh, to the early Giallo films, the actual earliest Giallo films that that we could basically find. Uh, we did Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace, which is kind of credited with establishing many of the stylistic ticks and sort of narrative and visual tropes of that particular genre uh, before it was popularized by Argento, basically like six years later. You got to feel bad for Bava. He was so ahead of yeah, the game that none of his movies ever did that particularly well, even though he was doing stuff like 10 years before they would become popular. And uh, we paired that with Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1970 by Dario Argento, which is you know probably the earliest example of a super financially successful giallo film that basically even steals the twist from Bava's Blood and Black (laughs) (laughs) Lace. But yeah, both both a lot of fun to talk about and uh, very interesting to see. You know, we've talked about a lot of 70s and especially 80s Italian horror. Very cool to see it go back all the way to Mario Bava's, you know, 1964 film and start starting to see some of the early glimpses of, you know, what slasher filmmakers would steal from in, you know, literally like 15, 20 years later. So if that interests you at all, patreon.com slash Podcast. That was last week's uh 
episode that kicked off Spooktober. And, uh, but moving on to this week, we have a very special guest joining us to um, sort of con- continue Spooktober with a really, really, uh, especially one film, really big film that a lot of people have been asking for uh, for a long time. And when I gave and I asked her what episode she wanted to come on, she specifically requested a Spooktober episode. So we Hell have yeah. returning guest. Uh, she is a writer uh, on film for places like Paste, Polygon, Thrillist, Playlist, Little White Lies, and she has her her own Substack that everyone uh, I can definitely uh, recommend checking out where she is always talking about uh, strangely uh, horny things um, <laughs> most of the time. I guess that is a lot of what it's not the only thing, but you are not <laughs> wrong, brother. <laughs> and that is uh, Brianna Ziegler. Brianna, how are you doing? I'm doing so good, guys. Thanks for having me again. You were to the talk only about person, two horny films. That's right. Exactly. This I mean, you were the only. <laughs> you were the only person who wrote about uh, an entire article on the cum shot from the Green Knight. <laughs> so. I did actually. You are wrong. There is another person who did. Um, her name is Chingy, and her article is very good. But we are Dang. we are kindred spirits in the cum shot article. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't. Well, I can't lay claim. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, welcome back. Uh, as as it goes on this show, Brianna, we have uh, guests choose the double features. So what have you brought with you this week for Spooktober, and why did you pair these two films together? Um, I brought Coppola's Dracula and Daughters of Darkness um, because... Well, my first choices were, <laughs> they were from like past 2010, and so you were like, we don't do that, and I was like, okay, let's try again. <laughs> we don't do that let's here. try this again. But then, but it was funny, because my first choice was Dracula, um, and then I just was like, oh no, they've definitely like already talked about Dracula before, but I'm dumb as shit, and I just like did not realize you had that uh, letterbox list that handily tells people what movies you've already talked about, um, so I would have known that you hadn't. Um, but my literally my first uh, pairing that I thought from the jump was uh, Dracula and Dar- Daughters of Darkness, and it was funny because you like you messaged me back and you were like, oh yeah, we could do Dracula, but like I don't know what would pair well with it because it's so like big and expansive. But I feel like Daughters of Darkness like obviously is not as like grand, but mm-hmm. they are so like they vibe very well. They're both like so stylish and moody and like horny and like <laughs> they they have this same like kind of I don't know this this I, I can't explain it other than this creepy vibe this very like spooky eerie vibe that is so specific to these two films that I like don't see replicated that often in like yeah. other horror movies um that I just really really love um yeah. so I think yeah they, they work really well together yeah, it feels like these are more like the uh, the seductive vampire films. Yeah. They they really yeah. f- focus hard on on that aspect of it. So yeah, and both mm-hmm. both obviously very gothic and kind yes. of psychosexual. Yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, you know something that uh, a very good material I think for the subject of vampires especially. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that that being said, I think we're going to jump uh, right into it here. We are going to go, I think, chronologically, uh, just to uh, get, uh, we, we, we typically like to kind of see what came first and what maybe might have inspired certain things from the other film. So let's start off with uh, Daughters of Darkness. If you think these ladies are something, wait until you meet 
mother. She's something else. Right, we are talking Daughters of Darkness, the 1971 English language Belgian erotic horror film directed <laughs> by a filmmaker by the name of uh, Harry. Uh, oh, I don't know, uh, Kumail, 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 perfect. Yeah, um, and uh, starring Delphine uh, Sirig and John Carlin and uh, Danielle. Ume. Uh, this is a obviously a, uh, a sort of French Belgian kind of collaboration, um, and very cool to see uh, Delphine because I don't think we've talked about her yet um, on this show. We haven't really had much of an opportunity. You know, it's not like the only other films I've seen her in were like Gene Delman uh, mm-hmm. last year at Marion Bad uh, kind right. of things that we probably won't get around to talking about on this particular show. Uh, <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll make some sort of excuse for maybe like Jacques Demi or something for something like Donkey Skin just because it's, uh, you know, got sort of like a fantasy musical aspect kind of to it. But uh, yeah, this is this is a, a very early '70s uh, erotic vampire film, which, believe it or not, was kind of a, a trend that kind of came out of nowhere. Because obviously, there's lots of literature and gothic horror fiction, um, you know, dating back to even like the 1800s that include like lesbian vampires. I think like Carmilla is sort of like the the big one that people note, and uh, that that's a gothic novella and is like the first example of a lesbian vampire, and it even predates like. Like the original Dracula story. Um, and, uh, you know, but in, in the late, I want to say late 60s, early 70s, Hammer films was a really big deal. And they were obviously all about bringing back those classical universal monsters, as well as kind of like that, that gothic horror atmosphere that, uh, you know, kind of went out of fashion for a little while of and bringing back some of those classic horror stories and adapting them for a contemporary at the time. Uh, exploitation audience, especially who wanted to see more sex and, and, and violence on the screen. We've, we've talked about hammer films quite a bit where you get like these very classically trained British actors, uh, you know, and they're, they're, they're in a sequence and they're telling you a spooky story. And then all of a sudden, you know, there is like a soft core sex scene or someone's decapitated <laughs> and you're, it kind of like throws you off. And that was something that was really, really popular at the time. And there was a movie made called the vampire lovers in 1970 with Ingrid Pitt, which is a literal adaptation of that Carmilla story I was just referencing and that launched was successful enough that it launched an entire trilogy that they made out of those and after that you can look it up if you look up like vampire lesbians <laughs> you will find between the year like 1970 from vampire lovers to 1975 they probably made like 30 or 40 of these movies like it's oh, wow. a- actually kind of crazy just how big all all of a sudden all it took was Ingrid Pitt to be in one of them and then you know then you get obviously more exploitative examples something like Jesus Franco's like very explicit vampiros lesbos or Stephanie Rothman's the velvet vampire is one of the more like underrated ones eventually this would all lead to something like in the 80s Tony Scott's the hunger which yeah, is something that we I definitely about. thought about that a lot while I was watching this. 
Yeah, no, me, me too. Like that very much that kind of like art house sensibility, but with like a little bit of sort of vul- vulgarity to it and violence to it in a, in a different way. And I tried to find out like what was, you know, what Kumail was sort of interested in when he, when he kind of approached this. And, uh, <laughs> I couldn't find like anything on the dude. He's a Belgian director that kind of <laughs> came out of nowhere and made like shorts and docs. And yeah. uh, one of his narrative films, which was about a uh, a woman who cross-dressed to disguise herself after she killed uh. the man who killed her lover. Apparently, that movie was nominated for, like, the Belgian-Dutch entry for Best Foreign Film in, like, 69. Basically, all that I could find uh, about this guy. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really interesting. Um mm- but yeah, no. Apparently, he he really wanted to uh, do a do an, a very existential and gross uh, romantic vampire movie. That was his dream. That rules. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> uh, but 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 Brianna, what was what was your first experience watching this one? Um, I watched it for the first time last year. I think someone recommended it to me on Twitter. I don't remember who. Um, but yeah, I, I watched it last year during. I guess it wasn't locked down anymore, um, but I got like really high and watched it, and it was like a really a really good Whoa. movie to watch while high. I was definitely like kind of like I don't know. I remembered like at a certain point like not paying attention to it as much anymore because that can also sometimes happen when I'm high. But I like I really liked it, um, so I was eager to uh, rewatch it again this year, um, and I I'm gonna. I want to say this because maybe you guys know the answer, but um, I watched a movie like recently, like sometime in the past month, and there's a scene with a character in a hospital or, or like, I don't know, like maybe just a bedroom, but they have a TV on in front of them and it's playing Daughters of Darkness and I cannot fucking remember what movie it is. I think it might oh, be Margaret. Man. Do you know? I think I like looked through my diary. Be. It might okay. be. I can't remember. Yeah. That, that, that sounds like it could be a thing for sure. Fuck yeah. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I like literally cannot find it anywhere. I kept Googling Margaret, Daughters of Darkness, Daughters of Darkness in another movie. And it's just like nothing. <laughs> but it was definitely in it. I have I have no idea why. But um, I mean, it, it rules. Yeah, I think I think that uh, I had an interesting experience with it because I watched this for the first time. I think it was on like Criterion Channel for a while, and it was included mm. in kind of like the seventies oh, yeah. horror. I think I th- last year. So yeah, I think last that was, year. Yeah, yeah. I think that was when I watched it, and I remember kind of having like a you know not like a like an amazing reaction to it. I I kind of got hung up on like weirdly enough kind of like character decisions and some of the strange reactions they have to the thing and how quickly the husband is like turned on by a corpse and I remember thinking that oh, there was yeah. just so many strange details <laughs> that like I kind of wish were explored a little bit more. But I I on, on rewatch here and I'm glad that Brianna had me rewatch it. I I ended up, you know, getting vibing with it a little bit more on this part because it's it's clear that what the film is is doing is more on a style level it's more about this surreal expressionist mood of kind of like being uh entrapped and being swept swept up in this sort of like violent demagoguery uh the same way you are you know like a romantic partner which is something that's you know very intrinsic i think to this film it 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 opens on like full-on purple pink and blue sex scene of just uh you know the 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 main two leads here stefan and valerie just grasping and thrusting and 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 biting at each other (laughs) and you know and it it's it's interesting because like the scene is like 
you know, obviously it's the first thing that you see and it's like a soft core sex scene basically. Um, but it does have a little bit of, you know, sort of like the surreal ominous mood to it that, you know, is sort of clarified by the, um, rest of the film, which involves, uh, Delphine Seyrig playing this, uh, this count countess battery, who is this, uh, you know, uh, vampire uh, who comes from Hungary and has lived for possibly hundreds of years and always has some sort of mistress mistress that she is uh, corrupting and and using as a a tool for pleasure in in different ways. And she decides that, you know, Valerie, this uh, young, beautiful blonde, uh, you know, newlywed to Stefan is going to be her new um, mistress. And also, (laughs) I was really taken aback that uh, how much very clearly they wanted someone like Catherine Deneuve to be in this movie. Like Valerie almost looks exactly like how you would expect uh, Deneuve to look like, which was also very funny when you then connect it to the hunger, which is like a, (laughs) you know, an an older Catherine Deneuve playing the vam, the vampire countess role. But, uh, but yeah, and it, it, I think that this has a a very unique kind of uh, push and pull to it. Uh, There's kind of like a, a psycho, a psychosexual kind of like mind game of desire and domination that ends up kind of taking place under the surface between all these characters. Something I really liked about it. And I, at first was almost confused in a way is they don't, uh, they don't um, exaggerate the 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 powers that she seems to have like when she's seducing them or kind of psychologically tricking them there's no there's nothing to really signify that she's doing any like mind games it Mm -hmm. just kind of happens along with the smooth dialogue that she's given and then all of a sudden she's just like they'll be following her like for instance when uh is it valerie is that the 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 girlfriend's yeah name? uh yeah. when she is going to uh escape later on in the film and to get on the train when when she ends up talking to her and convincing her not to there there, there isn't a lot of of dialogue or music or anything that's that's signifying anything powerful happening it's just kind of like through her conversation she's able to seduce them and and trick them and and uh, make them mm-hmm. do her will <laughs> essentially and come along with her um, but I found that interesting just on a style choice that they don't uh, hyper focus on the power itself or anything like that. It just kind of naturally starts to occur. Yeah. It's almost like an anti-vampire movie. There's so like yeah. such a lack of like actual like stylistic vampirism in the movie. They only they mention yes, the word definitely. like once and like there's that one scene towards the end where they both um, start like licking or or in, you know, eating uh, Stefan's blood at the end as he's dying. But I mean, you don't, you never see any fangs. I mean, there's never like, yeah, it's, it's, I remember that was like one of the biggest things that struck me. And I think one of the things that kind of had me, kept me out of it the first time I watched it was like, oh, this is a vampire movie, but like, there's also like no vampires in it, but like (laughs) they, they are vampires. But yeah, I mean now on a, on a second watch, I kind of love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's especially where it leads because it takes like un- until the the first real violent act, at least that you see on screen, because there are some like murders that they mention and all that. Um, but it, it takes a good, I would say, like fifty minutes to an hour before any real violence happens, which I'm also not very used to from a vampire film or um, mm. or just you know horror movies that we usually tend to to cover on this show in general. Uh, but when it comes time to for the violence to occur, I think th- that time it took 
uh, really helps because you kind of set yourself in through all the seduction phases and, and all that. So by the time you get this like bizarre scene with a razor being cut and a girl being stabbed and things like that, it's, it's very, uh, it's surprising. It's, it's shocking at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely, you know, uh, a very sort of European art house kind of style to it. I think I read someone compared it. They were kind of like, this is like, what if Fassbinder made like a, yes, like a I read vampire that. movie uh, <laughs> in, in terms of the style? And I kind of agree with that because I, you know, I, I thought about like, you know, for example, instead of other vampire films from, you know, that from the 70s or 80s, I was kind of thinking something more like Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant was kind of something that 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 came to mind in, in, in terms of the style and in terms of the way especially that you know like it's it's a lot of these very beautiful uh you know, wide images of the sort of Belgian locales. There's like this, there's these beautiful moments of like them honeymooning by going, uh, on a canal ride through Bruges. And, you know, there's, and, and the thing is, is that it's showing you all of these beautiful things. And also the style itself is just very decadent. The way that they use like the, the the, the marble of the hotel and the the Mm. big rugs and the huge, like velvet colored furniture and, and things like that. Um, there's, there's a very surface style to it that you're, you know, is, is meant to kind of, um, distract you a little bit from some of the, you know, grosser things that, you know, are happening underneath the surface of them, which involve, you know, this, uh, (laughs) this countess vampire who has a long history of, um, uh, killing young people for their blood and preying on them. And we're kind of getting kind of, you know, we're kind of dropped into the movie from the perspective of these, the innocent young people who are being courted to being shown how they are. You're, Cause you're right in the sense that, you know, it's not as simple as she's just going to bite them and convert them. She almost kind of wants them to open up to the idea before. Yeah. yeah. She actually, she, she, she wants to get them turned on using violence. I actually do, you know, on, on rewatch, especially, I really liked that scene where she is like just describing like the grossest massacres throughout Hungarian history. Yeah. And that's when like, <laughs> Steph, the isn't that when Stefan, he like gets turned on by it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right in front of his wife. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because because the, the the first sign of it is obviously that they you know there there are they're reading the newspaper and there's these corpses who are popping up and things like blood <laughs> yeah. completely drained and and throats slit and they're you know they're they're talking about stuff like that and Stefan gets very uh, curious and intrigued about that which kind of freaks out uh, the Valerie character his his newlywed wife. And uh, yeah, then the countess brings them into the 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 front lobby of the hotel, and it, because it's like I guess it's the winter time, it's, this hotel is like completely empty, other than the countess and her current mistress and uh, the young couple. And yeah, she just starts going on about the I I I have the the full quote somewhere in here, um, but like <laughs> the the stories that they are uh, telling about like you know just tearing the limbs off of people and draining their bloods and bathing in the blood and you just get Stefan just his eyes closed like oh oh this is great this is <laughs> wonderful right <laughs> more of this please yeah keep going keep it up. <laughs> oh yeah here here it is uh, pricked bodies with needles torn off nipples <laughs> 
pokers <laughs> into the faces, clipped off fingers with shears, right. um, hung going, upside Josh. down, and wrist slit. <laughs> they're literally like getting horning and feeling each other up over this historical sort of like mythical (laughs) violence which is obviously like very uh you know upsetting and what's interesting is that you know like that's all done just through dialogue and implication you know there's nothing explicit imagery to like kind of like show you that but there's something so interesting about staying focused on the characters and their reactions to that like he is having a orgasmic reaction to that woman whispering about bodily mutilation that he's having in like that (laughs) opening scene and I know I, I think part of what the countess is trying to do in the way that she preys on these people is she's trying to show that this corruption is you know like within within everyone in kind of where within these people that she's not, you know, completely alone in this kind of thing, um, mm-hmm. which is something that the characters then have to wrestle with. They have something kind of awakened in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very disturbing. I feel like there is, and I think it's interesting that you said that um, the director's only other, only other, one of his other features uh, was about like a cross dresser because then there's mm-hmm. the whole thing with Steven's mother which I yes. feel like is supposed that is like a whole thing. I I like that was something in my very high state watching this movie last year. I <laughs> did not catch. I just didn't notice it. And then this time I was like, oh, like I feel like that reveal is like sort of like in a way meant to imply that like Stephen like has always been kind of fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that is supposed to, like, tie into that. But that is very... Uh, when you said that that guy's other film was about a cross-dressing man, I was like, oh, that is very interesting yeah. in comparison yeah. to this. Yeah, like, yeah, because they... they <laughs> and, and, and they really build to it, right? Like, most of yeah. the early scenes of the movie are Valerie being like, you know, why aren't you telling your family about our, our marriage? Like, are you mm-hmm. ashamed or embarrassed of me? And it's, you know, implied that he comes from this sort of, like, aristocratic British family... Um, that, you know, he, he has a Swiss wife who they might not approve of. Maybe they're just that racist that they're like, oh, wow, a, a Brit with a non-Brit or something yeah. like that. Or just like, yeah, um, yeah, like, so, like, snooty and rich and, like, you know, they want him to marry into royalty, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and he's he's very reluctant to talk to his mother and he's trying to distract, you know, Valerie with, with food and, and, and pleasures of the hotel and the beautiful sort of uh, honeymooning that they're doing and everything like mm-hmm. like that. And eventually he does call. Yeah, and, and it's just this cross-dressed um, man on the phone who is referring to himself as his mother and both d- disapproves but is also strangely intrigued by the call at the same time. Yeah. Such a weird conversation that they have. And we never go back to him or her. No. I mean, we, we there's no, like, we never learn what is up with that and, like, what is up with Stephen's family. Um, no. And it's just like, yeah, we never go back to it. It's just like left there. And I feel like the implication is meant to be that he is like weird and perverted and like psychosexually fucked up because of that. And then, and then all, all, it, all it takes is a, is, is a vampire countess to just kind I of guess. Uh, tease that out of him. <laughs> I fucking guess. 
Yeah. Well, and 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 to the the way that the 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 camera especially like gets sort of like fixated and obsessed with the with the young characters the same way that um the the, the countess does like the way that there's like these these very voyeuristic images of them like walking along the beach uh, at, mm-hmm. at at nighttime and everything like that and you just get like Delphine being like, did you see her skin? her lips (laughs) (laughs) over like these very gorgeous, you know, um, images on, on the beach and then in the hotel. And obviously these like very, very gorgeous, like, uh, costumes and production design that they kind of put together for the entire thing as well. I don't think Delphine like wears the same outfit twice. Um, (laughs) no, she's got like long silk, uh, stuff. She's got, uh, at near the end, she's in like that huge shiny silver dress that like, yes, the sparkly dress. Oh my God. The way it like reflects the camera light. Like it is so cool. (laughs) I love at a certain point too, how they use her clothing as imagery for vampires. Like she has that long cloak that she wraps around Valerie with yes. on the beach. And, it, and right before that, it's got this like great uh, zoom out. So you see it in just this big wide shot. And then you see her open it up exactly like the old school Dracula does. Yes. And then yes. closes her in. That was very cool. I, li- I liked that quite a bit. Just a, a cool signifier for like the old school vampire stuff um, kind of br- brought into the to this newer wave, I guess. I read on the Wikipedia that uh, apparently, like, she only wears uh, red, black, and white because she's a demagogue and they wanted it to, like, evoke, like, Nazis. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, 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 they wanted her to come from, like, this, you know, sort of uh, Hungarian right-wing kind of background. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of, I thought of, was of, interesting. Of history. So, yeah, she, she doesn't wear anything that's not on the on the Nazi insignia, basically. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. And there, there are, like, choices sort of, that sort of made that kind of, you know, get you to an interesting uh, idea of, you know, sort of, I guess... Because ultimately, this this film ends up being more about sort of like control and submission of, um, you know, the whether it's a, like a romantic partner or a sexual partner or someone who uh, you just want to own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You, you want to, you know, there's 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 something interesting about you know sort of like how it ties sexual expression and these exertions of power. Um, that started to make more sense to me, especially on a, on a second watch. Like, for example, the scene when the husband just starts suddenly like beating Valerie and trying to have like sadomasochistic sex, like something has you know infected and been brought out of him by yeah. the Countess's sort of like liberating behavior. Where one again, it's sort of like sexual liberation in a way, but obviously it's also extremely grotesque and 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 harmful. And you know he's you know he's literally like whipping her with a belt, and the camera holds on these dolly shots like outside the window frame, so that you know you're it's not intimate like the opening scene is. Oh yeah, and a um, storm yeah. is going. Going on and you see like the waves crashing in the dock and yeah. all that. And then also I, the the image afterwards when in, in the morning where they they wake up is is really just terrifying. And she's got the bruises. Oh on her yeah, the yeah yeah yeah. And she's she's got the bruises, but she's also in a position where it looks like she's kind of like trying to cover herself, and he is facing her and still holding the belt. So it almost like has this implication mm-hmm. that he was doing it until like they both fell asleep. Like they literally fell asleep just vi- like while he was violently hitting her. Like it was just that long of a of a period 
And because um, yeah. just having that image of him still holding it after he's asleep, it's like he never let that thing go the entire night. It's just so just horrifying. Yeah, and I I I think that it's it it's interesting that you know it does become sort of like this this very grotesque almost like love triangle situation where you know uh, Valerie is kind of just like who do I choose? Do I choose this like possibly Nazi vampire, <laughs> or do I choose my my husband who very clearly you know has similar impulses? Um, that she does, but at least she's, you know, kind of, uh, she wants to dress me up more like a Barbie and just, um, mm-hmm. hang out with me and give me marriage advice. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I also feel like the, um, dynamic between Ilona, the mistress and Stefan is interesting. Cause I feel like she's, yeah. she views him as like a way out. She doesn't want to be with the countess anymore and she thinks that like Stefan is like an escape which of course you know turns out to not be he's just another he's just another abuser I guess yeah yeah I, I found it really interesting the implication that he was very horny about the the corpse of the woman on the street and then when he eventually has sex with Alona it's in this weird like position where they're both just like laying there like yeah. dead bodies it's so mm-hmm. weird yeah <laughs> I did. I I had no idea what uh, what what was going on there. Other than I I did find it interesting the way that it's it's shot, where again like it's just like there's there's this heavy focus on just like skin touching skin, in like um, these these close up images and then like the they have like their legs on each other but neither of them are moving but they're both very clearly like having sex and I was trying to fi- I was like what is happening <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. uh it, it's a it's they a very different much, that's for sure yeah. it's it's a very different kind of sex than the sadomasochistic one that he was having in the previous scene with it with his own um wife uh especially and also too the the really sad existence of of alona i i love when you know she she kind of interprets the the countess's interest in valerie as kind of like an escape um, for her yeah. and that her, her chance to kind of get out and uh, she goes through with her plan because she assumes that that's kind of like you know what you know she's being given you know freedom from this kind of position that she's in and they kind of have this sort of employer employee kind of or slave and master kind of relationship that they have mm-hmm. um, and it ends up being kind of like really sad the way that you know it is shown both in the visual style how like not in control she is like when the countess returns back to her hotel room and a Lona has to like wait for her in the door frame naked, um, which is then a shot that's repeated when Valerie is now um, the woman that she owns. And she has to do that exact same thing, like how much control that she has over these people. And then also, you know, she very clearly tells Alona, you know, go have sex with this man who I have awakened his violent tendencies intentionally. Um, and, uh, go have, have fun with him while I court his bride. And, you know, obviously, of course that's going to end in Alona being killed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, which is exactly what happens. And it's a really like brutal scene where, you know, like the, the husband is very clearly 
trying to have like shower sex with her, but trying to like force her into it in a way that's scaring her. And she ends up, you know, falling all over the bathroom and slicing her hand open on the straight razor, which is, you know, sort of signified early in the film that when the husband kind of cuts himself shaving and it's this sort of like this, you know, small domestic ritual that turns into some to violence. And then obviously that same uh, shaving tool is then, you know, stabbed right through this woman and she dies there. And I love Mm -hmm. the sequence, too that it doesn't go into the melodrama when the countess and the wife come back. Like the wife just found her husband cheating on her and killing the woman (laughs) that he, he uh, cheated on her with. And the first thing they all go is, you know, no one's going to believe that this was an accident. So let's all just like uh, cover this up together. And I love that the husband is like in the foreground on the bed, just like covering his naked body with like the blanket or the towel or whatever. (laughs) And you just see the two women in the background, just like trying to like move the body around and wrap it up and things like that. It's just, it's, it's very, um, you know, in tune with, you know, some of the more gross details of the things that Mm -hmm. they're doing visually. That's a very funny line, um, that, they say like when they get back from like disposing of her body, I think like Valerie says to Steven, like it's like something along the lines of like, like how could she treat her friend this way? Like, 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 just like, 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 like just something like absurd. Like, oh, like we just like dumped the body in, in, in like a hole by the ocean. Like that's not very yeah. nice of her to do that to her friend. And I was like, <laughs> it's just like such a funny little like throwaway line like i guess this is a little suspicious huh <laughs> kind of weird she's a little twisted yeah uh, yeah yeah no that 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 whole burial sequence too has like you know just you know some some very like strange um moments to it i i, I do like some of the you know the again I got hung up on narrative the first time I watched this. And the second time I was just all about like, you know, some of the, the the strange momentary elements of the film where like the mood completely takes over on like a detail that doesn't make perfect sense, but gets into the feelings of the characters. It has like expressionist gestures like that. And one is when the husband just like falls into the pit that they put the body into and they, and, and dirt just starts falling all over him. Like he's literally being like drowned with dirt by the countess, even though they're technically helping him cover up, you know, this, this death that he's done. And then there's this great shot of his hand reaching out of the dirt. Like it's like a zombie movie or something. And his wife has to like reach in and grab him and and pull him out. And there's just something so, um, you know, sort of creepy about the idea of, you know, her husband being this, uh, this, this, you know, now to her, like this murderous figure who she needs to pull out of a grave like a zombie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the, and the countess in the background freaking out, like the night is dying. We need oh, to God, hurry. Yeah. Like, I the sun love is coming. that. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, I don't know, there's just something, like, so... I don't know. I can't describe, like, what I loved about that and then towards the end where it's just, like, the the dawn is, like, creeping in on them and and you just get so insistent about the sunlight. It's, like, one of the few... One of the few very immediately vampiric things about her is the sun, yeah. which is fun, kind of funny. And, and not, yeah. like, the... Uh, and the fast-paced nature of the whole thing, eventually, because it's so... It is a very slow-moving film a lot of the time. I yeah. was never... I would never say it's boring. It's just... It does slowly dish out the information and all that, whereas this last... 
you know, 10 minutes is, is like a speeding bullet. I mean, she's going 160 yeah. kilometers down the, this like country road trying to <laughs> yeah. out, outrun the sun. And, and it's just like all these really, uh, fast moving camera pans and, and all that. And then, and then it just, it turns into this exploding hellfire where she's stabbed into a branch and the car <laughs> explodes and she set a flame and like, it, it really just goes over the top for the last 10 minutes. And I think, I think the best possible way, cause it really does lead you into, to this kind of uh, explosive finale. Um, it felt like death was really the only way thing that was, that this movie was going to end with. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, it definitely does. a doomed quality to it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, although I guess it, it, Valerie ends up kind of, Taking to on. the place of the Countess, which I found just yes. a little confusing because it did look like that car exploded pretty thoroughly. But uh, <laughs> she's not; she wasn't stabbed. That's the That's thing the with th- vampires, uh, right. you know. Yeah. You learn that in in Dracula, you have to stab them through the heart and cut off their head, which That's I guess right. didn't happen to the Countess. But you know, they kept the stab in the heart thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very unlucky to go headfirst through the windshield and to get st- a wooden stake through the heart completely by accident. And then be beside the car that One explodes. way that you can die. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, what a way to go. But yeah, no, that, 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 stuff's, that stuff's really cool. Like, again, the, the buildup to the way that she seeds, you know, these sort of dark qualities in their relationship. Like, she, she basically, like, you know, ignites the violent impulses of the husband so that the wife gets abused and runs into her own arms. Yes. And wants to be a little Barbie doll. And she's dressing her up and she's doing her hair. And, you know, she's, she's basically just another object in the hotel for her. And she's so stoked that she has turned her like completely um, against her husband. And obviously, you know, you understand that, too, because the husband is, you know, being like a like a weird, perverted, violent freak at that point as Mm -hmm. as well. And that sequence, you know, when they, um, you know, she basically stages it where she can, uh, you know, ignite the husband's anger and be like, you know what, you're going to you're you're going to blame this on the countess. The fact that you slept with Alona when we know that the, it was the countess's plan was for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, she she's trying to pitch them this idea that, you know, we've we've got a, a lot of nights ahead of us. We can live eternally. We can do all of this. And the husband is like, yeah, you've seen a lot of nights like last night or even worse nights. <laughs> and uh you know then but then he starts going he starts going crazy and he's like i am a man and she is mine and you can't take my wife and you know all of this kind of stuff and either way they end up uh like shattering uh this like uh bowl on him that ends up slicing his wrists open (laughs) love the way that they do that it is yeah. so goofy the like the, yeah. it breaks they they're strong enough to break that thick ass bowl and then yeah. the pieces just happen to like fall forcefully enough on his wrist yeah, that <laughs> they just slice wide open and they're not even like uh vertically they're just horizontal <laughs> yeah there's something to be said about really all the deaths in this especially like i would say it's everything is so subtle for the for the most part but all the deaths are way over the top even the razor yeah. one she ends up like dropping the razor uh, uh like right side up on the floor and lands on yeah. it and so <laughs> yeah. that's how she dies and then you got the the vampire going through the windshield through the uh, getting impaled setting on <laughs> setting a blaze <laughs> 
and then you have the other one like it, yeah the, the deaths are so crazy over the top compared to all the subtlety of kind of the seduction and the romance that happens in every other part of the movie mm-hmm. well yeah and, and and it's funny because the way that they obviously mentioned earlier that you know there's the these aren't you know, I think the the detective who recognizes her from 50 years earlier, the countess giving her this timelessness, he mentions that, you know, ghosts and ghouls and, you know, he, he's referencing kind of like the idea of, of vampires as like this, uh, this sort of supernatural thing. And the few moments of supernatural violence that take place in this film are basically handled like a Final Destination movie. Yes. Where people yeah. Just, people just like fall on objects in hilarious ways and just end Very up funny. getting completely killed by them. But yeah, when, when the husband's uh, wrists slit and then they both start just drinking from his, his, you know, his, his slit wrists and, you know, you, you do at that point realize, you know, what kind of journey you've been on from the opening scene of, of intimate um, sex between Valerie and Stefan to this very intimate you know, sort of uh, three-way between these two, but involving <laughs> Stefan being drained of his blood. And then they, like, hurl his body off the the balcony. Uh, oh, yeah. And I thought that they, the that's the filthiest <laughs> ditch I've ever seen. Yes. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just, then, like, yeah. so funny. Just so funny how, like, like, my immediate thought when they dump him over the side is, like, okay, they've dumped him over the side into the middle of the street in front of the <laughs> hotel. Like, I guess they've got to just, like, hope for the best that no one, like, gets to it by the time that's, they come down. I was like, boy, I that was uh, pretty ballsy of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She even stops but, to give him a kiss before she puts yeah. the body back in the car. So, yeah, she, she took like her time. felt like had all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then they drive fast as hell, as Jamie mentioned, and they they end up crashing that car due to the daylight that shines briefly on them, and impaled on the tree, exploded into flames. What a what an image too of the wide shot of her body just hanging off the tree, impaled as it starts catching fire and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then then as we mentioned, Valerie is then uh, in the black cloak of the countess and preying on a, a a tennis couple at a vacation retreat. And I love the buildup of the, uh, of the music as the camera like cranes upwards following her, where we know she's about to do the same thing that the countess just did. And then until the music suddenly stops and then it cranes all the way down so that we are down behind the gate. Uh, and like we know that you know this is inevitable that they they are trapped. This is officially kind of over. It's not romantic anymore in yeah. that kind of moment. And then that's when it cuts to black. Um, so uh, you know, I think that that stuff ultimately, you know, sort of like the the visual sensibility and the more sort of dreamy, surreal kind of expressionistic qualities. Um, even in, you know, the, even in the fucking like soft core stuff, which is shot poetically, it's like bodies entwined and twisting and contorting and bleeding. And, you know, there, there's a, you, you get a feeling exclusively almost through the style of this idea of sort of youthful beauty and innocence being preyed upon by this very malevolent historical figure of, of power that, you know, is both, both a seductive force and a corrupting force kind of, um, simultaneously and i do like that you know it's not as overtly you know like the vampire is not going around killing these people it's showing them that they are kind of capable of being just as monstrous monstrous as she uh is if they are just given the right path and the right door and the right motivation right um Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I, I found it like very interesting. And if we're pivoting towards a uh, reductive uh, rating round, which Brandon, you've been on before, I'm sure you know, we reduced the movie to a number between one and five. And we've also turned into kind of like closing statements where there was a scene or a line or anything that we missed that you wanted to make sure got in before we finished up. Mm. But this one, uh, my, my first watch, it was kind of in the high three territory. And this watch definitely got upgraded to like kind of like the solid four territory. Yeah. I, and again, I think a lot of that is due to the style. I think it's both. Uh, hypnotic and ghostly and uh, you know both mythical and erotic some somehow and it's very very gorgeous and I, I've thought about it a lot since um, watching it and having kind of like a lukewarm restaurant response to it and it, it really stuck with me it has very lush mise-en-scene and colors to it the off-kilter score to it um, as, as well that that basically changes with the psyches of the characters as they are on like this kind of like uh, fetish dreamscape gothic euro horror type thing um, I ended up being a lot more taken with just that general atmosphere and how that applies to the characters and some of the things that they are doing because you you really do have to very quickly buy into that these characters already have kind of perverse qualities lingering beneath them and the countess is just bringing it out of them because mm-hmm. if you don't you know there's not a lot of overt uh, motive I guess <laughs> for a lot mm-hmm. of things that just start happening um, but if you can buy into that and I think the style is there to help you um, I think that there's you know you'll you'll get a lot out of this especially how you know, it it ends up again being this idea of, you know, how desire and domination and control and submission are sometimes things that are kind of intertwined within you. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's a it's it's a classic vampire sex and death kind of metaphor uh, as well. And again, you got to love the shiny dresses and the, 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 the colors and the, the architecture Brother. and mirrors and corridors and just everything. Oh, um, yeah. Great time. Uh, yeah, I'd give this a four as well. Uh, I love the style. I love the mood. Something that I really uh, liked that I didn't mention was the the use of like the the lighting that they do, especially at nighttime. It gives off this like dark blue and purple lighting that kind of shines into the room. Um, and I like the contrast. Like what bef- in the beginning scene when they're having uh, sex, it's it's in this like purple kind of lighting, and it's you know kind of romantic and. Uh, it feels mysterious in a way as well. And then when they're, <clears throat> excuse me, when they're done, he turns on the lights and it's just this bright fluorescent light that kind of ruins all of that mood. And, and people are like in the movie are even kind of blinded by it a little bit. And then later on the vampire, uh, the countess, she's uh, talking and saying that the lights are too bright. And so they put this like uh, red mm. scarf over it oh, to create yes. this like blood red lighting that comes into the room. Mm. And it's yeah, uh, that's so sick. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, I really liked that. It was just that that, that contrast there was was very cool. And um, I just love the, the slow, seductive nature of the whole movie, but then has these rare moments of just violent explosions that are way mm. over the top and, and crazy. So I, I think those really work well together. Um, yeah, four four out of five. This was this was awesome. Yeah, I also um, would give this a four out of five for sure. Um, very ghostly. That is a, that was a great word, Josh. Yeah. That I think you use. That is yeah. That is like a atmosphere. I I really like prize in movies. It's a reason why I love this and uh, uh, Coppola's Dracula. I feel like they create this very haunting atmosphere that I just do not see replicated uh in a lot of movies um and that yeah it just is very much my vibe um great movie about how we're all secret perverts that is definitely um (laughs) 
main takeaway from this <laughs> is that we're all secret it, it, perverts. It honestly doesn't take a lot to bring it out of you. It does not take, and, and it doesn't take a lot. That is definitely the key here. But one of my one of my favorite like little things um, that we didn't mention and that I want to mention now is the drink that she has when they kind of like sit down together that evening the first time. Do you remember that like thick like teal colored like alcoholic drink that she's having and it's not like some weird like i don't know vampiric elixir like she like gives it to steven to like go like mix her another drink like do you know what i'm talking about it's like <laughs> I I they, don't, they don't they don't mention it do either of you know like what it's supposed to be is that like a drink that people have if they're i think <laughs> absinthe might be green oh if I'm, okay if I'm correct but i i don't 100 percent know and if she is drinking that my the countess God, she's was going for it fucked up yeah yeah, yeah. Ah, damn. yeah it, it is like, like a bright alcohol. teal drink yeah <laughs> Anyway, that was just that's like what, cool. That's awesome. That's what you need when you're uh, 300 years old, and the, um, yeah, the, the, yeah. the only person who remembers you is the uh, the guy at the hotel who was like a little boy the last time you were there. <laughs> He's like so fucked up by her too. Just he is to get just her buzz like. On. <laughs> but yeah, great. Yeah. Well, I think that that will uh, wrap it up for Daughters of Darkness. We're gonna be right back, and we're gonna be talking oh, yeah. about Dracula. Make no mistake, he must be stopped. All right, we are back and we are talking Bram Stoker's Dracula the 1992 American gothic horror film directed and produced by one Francis Ford Coppola, uh, someone you might have heard of, based on the 1897 novel, <laughs> obviously Dracula, by Bram Stoker. Um, I'm sure most of the people listening have probably seen this. I think this is, you know, it, it wasn't like the, uh, the the biggest movie at the time, although it was financially successful, which was good for Coppola. That's good because to hear. It was it was basically the movie that he made for that reason. Cause you, you, you guys heard the thing, right? That he, it was, uh, it was a apocalypse now. And what was the other one that he did after that, that he kept going over, over budget and kept like <laughs> fucking with the studios. So he, he basically owed them two financially successful movies. So that was why Godfather three and Dracula were made like back to back because he was oh, like, these okay. are sure things to make money. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but also he loves the Dracula story. So you can it was tell. like, a, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, uh, a, a really big deal for him because I think Winona Ryder famously dropped out of Godfather three, um, because mm. of some sort of scheduling conflict, which is why Sofia Coppola had to play the role that she was supposed to, that Winona was supposed to be playing in. But as mm. she was dropping out, she handed him the script. So Winona had the script before Coppola did, and she gave it to, um, Coppola because she liked how sort of rawly emotional and, and sexual it was and she liked the idea of doing these sort of like uh, ladies in corsets but the movie is about how sexually repressed they are that was something Winona really took to yeah. and she she gave it to Coppola 
who was still really frustrated over Godfather three shit that was kind of going wrong. And, uh, Winona says that he lit up when he saw the name Dracula, because as a kid, it was just one of his favorite stories. And it was something Mm. that reminded him of like campfire stories. That was the vibe it kind of gave him. So you can tell basically, you know, you can definitely feel the glee he takes in, in doing this and stylizing this. And honestly, this is my third time watching it. And, uh, it has become my favorite version of this story. Yeah, I think it's my favorite uh, Dracula story as well. It, yeah. it, it, it took it, it took a couple watches uh, because I think that there are some you know some some qualities that you know people love to to hark on, especially <laughs> some of the performances and some of the the you know yeah. I guess maybe some of the dialogue and some of the writing. I've and whatnot, seen many but, strange things. <laughs> I, I know where the bastard sleeps. <laughs> but do you know do you know what you know, my <laughs> Uh, do you know what? Do you know what one of my favorite things about that is, though, is that uh, Coppola does not begrudge Keanu like at all. Yeah, I love it. Um, love it. He, he he says that uh, the issue he thinks with Keanu was that he actually because he said that most people just think that he just wasn't trying, that he didn't do the work, he didn't put the work in. Mm. He Coppola actually says that Keanu put tons of work into it, and he said that was actually the issue is that they couldn't get him on set to say any of the nines the lines naturally or comfortably because he was just exerting so much effort trying to like do it right that wow. he just kept it came out stilted. Right. But Coppola says to this day he is a prince in my eyes that's <laughs> awesome that's so I sweet i love it so if, if if coppola can uh can can forgive some of the goofy line readings uh definitely i can and and Absolutely. yeah for, for me the dracula story has always been kind of interesting because like obviously you know the you know there's very you know this has been a, a story that's been adapted since the the dawn of cinema essentially you can go back to the original vampire stories you can go back to you know obviously the universal version of dracula with with bella that kind of has some some nice sets and whatnot but i've always been kind of of the universal monster movies kind of uh meh on that one it has like a kind of like stage stage like distance to it that never really got me into the material it it, it doesn't hold up in comparison to like something like nosferatu for example which is you know gets a lot more of the atmosphere and the imagery right the shadows and the claws and the gothic horror of it definitely more, you know, Coppola definitely steals more from that in the look of this than he does uh, Universal Monsters version of it. And then obviously Herzog did a Nosferatu remake in in the 70s with with Kinski, <laughs> where he just, uh, Klaus Kinski is just outwardly lusting for Isabella Johnny, uh, which was a good update on it and definitely got some of the hornier aspects of it that the other ones didn't. Yeah. Um, and so Coppola kind of takes this entire history of this story and the entire history of like the medium of film right. itself yeah. and collapses it all into kind of like one thing. And as a result, this is the one that I kind of end up feeling. I, I, I totally get the uh, operatic passion of both the story and the filmmaking in this in a way that I don't um, a lot of the uh, other um, versions of it. So the way that he goes back to the original material and repurposes it, especially honing in on the uh, romantic sex and violence qualities, which is something that, you know, most um, kind of didn't shy away from, but didn't hone in as crazy as he did. Like the the romance aspect here between Dracula and between his long lost timeless love with a uh, Winona Ryder, who is his uh, bride who kills herself early in, in the film and ends up kind of coming back as a, 
you know, a, a born again kind of figure that he's searching for. Um, you know, that, that romance is more deeply felt than in any version, um, mm-hmm. of this, uh, story, I think. Um, oh, yeah. and yeah. And it's so like, it's so operatic. I mean, the, the tone setter just in the, the, the introduction oh, yeah. where it's it based in history. I can't remember the exact year it's supposed to be based in, but you know, it's when Dracula was, was kind of like a, a king, a fighter for for the church. Oh, it's uh, like fourteen hundred. You say this? It's fourteen sixty two. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. I'm a nerd. And like just the way that he he does this, he's got everyone in the in the battleground silhouetted, but there's red for the background, so it's like red oh. skies, yeah, blood and black. red sky. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And so you <laughs> so see good. all these impalings, but they're all done through shadows. So you just see like spears going through people and being stuck up. And obviously, it has imagery of like being Vlad lifted the into the air while still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they set that into uh, kind of a you know a loss of love story at the when he arrives. And the, um, his lover has committed suicide, thinking that he's he's died in war, and it turns it like Gary Oldman is just giving this like incredibly over the top theatrical performance <laughs> where he's like screaming to the gods like I renounce you and. and- and yeah. blood is flowing, yeah. and it's just like it's an unbelievable. Is this my reward for defending God's church? Yeah, and I love the just, idea. But but he's doing it in like the Transylvanian <laughs> or whatever, right? And then you have that like the 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 really dark gothic opera that goes on where when the title mm-hmm. card goes Bram Stoker's Dracula. There's just that tone is such a or that that's the setting of tone in this in this introduction is unbelievable. It's just so moody and so over the top. I love it. I like the idea that like he became a vampire just from getting really mad. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. kind yeah. of like <laughs> how it happens. Um, but also like the um, the intro sequence with the like war happening with the red in the background are those like real people? Because it looks like shadow puppets. I feel like maybe that's yeah, the effect maybe. that it's. I had to like rewind it to to like because I watched a video recently, like a video on YouTube that. Uh, where these guys were just like talking about uh, this movie and some of the effects that were done, and I I was gonna rewatch it for this, but I I didn't have time. Um, but I thought they like talked um, that that sequence was like spe- was like puppets, but like I I not sure. I rewatched it and I could not tell because um, sometimes well, well, the movement is Yeah. Is, yeah. Is it, it, it's brought up later where um, Dracula now posing as sort of just like the 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 Prince Vlad, the guy, uh, obviously named after <laughs> Vlad the Impaler, which is yep. where they get all the imagery of the bodies on spikes and the dismembered and the armor, the you know devil armor that he's wearing and shit <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> that but uh, the, there's a part where he takes her to the to the movies, right? Like the early Cinematheque yeah, or whatever, and. Uh, yeah, and uh, when he takes her there, there's actually a part where it cuts to a reenactment of the same opening scene, but it is done as like this little puppet show in the background. Oh, oh that's awesome! So v- v- very oh, possible yeah. it's the same as that, or they just applied the same techniques to yeah. the real actors. It's very very possible because uh, so cool. yeah, the obviously the groundbreaking. Um, like VFX in this movie. I mean, not even groundbreaking is not, I guess the right word because basically the, he chose to do dated effects rather than doing computer effects. Yeah. Um, but, but he, he held to that with everything and I didn't realize how heavily he held to it. Um, because I, you know, there are some images like, you know, there's so many great images of like, um, 
things overlapping other imagery throughout the film. There's a constant yeah. sense of of flowing and crossfading, but sometimes superimposed images are connected to each other. Yeah. Like obviously one of the most famous ones is like the image of the diary where it looks like the train is literally yes. riding on top of the diary. That's like a like a you know a, a really big one or um, when his eyes superimpose over the over the sky to look like he's looking at Jonathan. That one's amazing. Yeah, and, and, that's like my favorite and, and, shot. Yeah, and, and, I love so it. And fucking I, so cool. I thought that stuff. And did you guys think this too? That that was compositing. That that was they shot it all practically, but it was like composited in the editing room. That it was no, like I they learned, just spliced images I, together. I learned from that video that I referenced that it was like mostly in camera effects yeah wow yeah. that was what shocked me <laughs> insane. like all, all all of that stuff was in camera and especially so for example the one with the diary they basically they built the miniature set of the train so that's a real miniature train driving by mm-hmm. and the diary is not a separate shot put on top it is a, a 20 foot long yes. <laughs> book that has been placed in front of the train so that it gives the effect of, you know, it's looking like the diary is just in front of the camera. But they apparently that didn't work because it didn't connect it to the train. So they had to build a big one because then they could use the lighting and they could put like the shadow of the train and the shadow of the smoke, the steam from the train, like actually hitting the book when it was like this giant book. And yeah, that's how they did a lot of that. They did a lot of double exposure which is where you you film something, but then you don't actually uh, develop the film. You actually run the film back and shoot something again, and then you expose them together so that the two things that you shot are combined on the same film. Okay. And so they, they did that for a lot of things. Like, that's how they got the rats um, walking uh, when, when Keanu goes into Dracula's yes. castle. And everything is meant to feel surreal and off kilter and the world is unbalanced because he's in this new strange world. Um, there's a part where like the rats are running on the ceiling across like a steel pole. Mm-hmm. And they did that by literally holding the camera upside down, filming a real rat just walking normally along a pole running the film back and then filming the stuff with Keanu where just the rat stuff was at the top. So they filmed it twice and then you get, you know, so in camera you get the effect of rats running on the ceiling, which is something that's obviously yeah. physically impossible. That oh, whole awesome. like Dracula's castle sequence is just like a fun house of like special effects, like magic. I mean, it's just, Oh yeah. It's unreal. The coolest fucking thing. I love the yeah the, that that the, 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 the bit with, with with Dracula's shadow moving yeah. oh. completely I was just separately and yeah. they do it throughout the entire film and every single time it happens I just get giddy like I'm like this is yeah. incredible it's so just haunted house esque I love it like and especially Jamie. when it starts to really become detached like there's a moment where Jonathan is like talking to him and you see the shadow in the background and then there's this face that he gives off all of a sudden and it's it's because he just suddenly disappeared and turned up to the left of him and the Yes. shadow does like a, a turn over to it, the other side where he's supposed to be and like there's just so many well thought out little scares like that that are I mean l- less I mean they're scary it's more creepy than anything but the atmosphere is just off the charts it's unbelievable yeah yeah do, do you know how they did the shadow stuff it's really funny no 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 I don't remember literally it's just doing hand puppets what 
Hell like, yes. literally, like, like the, the, the same, like the same function of just putting a shadow in front of like a light and just putting it on the background. So what they did was wow. they had Keanu and Oldman doing the performance in the foreground of the scene. Mm-hmm. But then they had a guy who just had like these elongated claws and like the, the butt that Gary Oldman has. <laughs> right. Oh my God. And, and so, so that he had the same shadow figure and they literally just had a guy on the side doing shadow movements separately from from old. So it is authentic. It's not, yeah, like it's, again, none of it was done in post. They literally just captured that with a guy doing different shadow motions, like off camera. Oh man. So that it looked like Oldman's shadow had like a body of its own. And the practicality of all the effects really makes it so like Dracula just feels that much more powerful. Like I was talking about the, the superimposing of him like throughout the entire movie, really he's constantly like there's many moments where a character looks up into the sky and they almost see Dracula's eyes looking over them. And I'll, and I'll say like out of all of the, the, you know, vampire movies that I've seen, I just feel like this one, uh, perfectly explains the, the supreme power that, that, someone like this would have like with we were talking about daughters of darkness and how it's very subtle and i like the way that it does that but just this one does the complete opposite where it's showing like all of his power what he's very capable of doing it's as grandiose and supernatural overtly as like it could possibly to to the point to the point where it's it's stuff that i think he's almost even adding to the lore like eventually he's turning into a wolf and he's turning into a snake and he's turning (laughs) into like a giant (laughs) vampire bat which i guess would be the classic one but it, it's there's so many transformations and different t- t- powers turns into, into a, rats. A pile of rats exactly and it, it's <laughs> there's there's just so many different powers and transformations that takes place for for dracula in this that it's like he feels like the most powerful version of dracula in this film i think Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even the way that he floats over towards Keanu, oh, like yeah. the way that he walks across, he's literally like floating across the room. And as he's slowly like just creeping Keanu out and being like, you know, I your fiance looks pretty nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just the, the kind of vibe that he's giving off. And literally, there's a point where they move the set walls closer to them they literally just had people lift the set walls and move them in to make it look like dracula is literally like entrapping <laughs> him as the walls are awesome almost touching oh my god like, so much work w- went into this and you can tell yeah right like in every yeah, single I mean, he, scene he had, he had to fire the original vfx team because they told him there was no way to achieve any of the storyboarding <laughs> he had with wow you have to believe Peters. you don't Weak. believe Jesus. Yeah, and, 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 and he was like, no, it's all going to be in camera. It's all going to be rear projection and double or multiple exposure and matting techniques and forced perspective techniques. And oh, the, the reason that he said that he great. was so committed to it was because he was like, this story takes place pretty close to like the dawn of movie making. And if I'm going to, yeah. you know, he wants to collapse time. He basically wants right. 1890 and 1990 to be completely indistinguishable from each other to an audience watching this film. And, you know, as a result, I mean, it, it gives this movie, you know, a very timeless feeling to it. It's like, a, it's like the last stand of analog filmmaking before digital filmmaking, like became the norm. Like Jurassic mm-hmm. Park came out, what, one year later? Right. Um, yeah. And that was like considered like one of like the the first really big like uh you know CGI sort of moments where you know people started to really believe it in the film. So, you know, Coppola was like completely against the idea. He was just like, you know, this is going to be if Dracula went to the movie house, these are the techniques he would have fucking seen in a movie. <laughs> yes. And that's such a genius idea. 
um, like looking back at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, just, just some, just simple stuff like, you know, reversing footage and upside down footage and, you know, matting and uh, painting, making and, giant uh, books, making giant books, which was not how I thought they did that. Uh, A seductive like dream bed. When the when the vampiresses uh, go after Jonathan, that's an amazing oh yeah. moment too. Like just the the way that he has all the like the sheets flowing in the wind, and then the girls rise from the bed itself. Like there's just something so otherworldly about the entire thing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and, and how that all get, you know, is blended into, you know, one, the idea that Dracula is, is, is strange and surreal and powerful and evil, entirely based on, as Brianna, you know, kind of put it, he's, because he's angry. That's literally it. Right. He's super angry. And he stabs angry and horny. across yes. until it gushes blood <laughs> everywhere. So funny. And, you know, that is why he is able to do all of these things. And that is honestly kind of scary that, that some dudes just heartbreak and rage is enough (laughs) to literally turn the world completely upside down in the way that, you know, it is for a a lot of the characters who experience this and the way that they do uh, POV images. Like when he becomes the wolf man and he starts, you know, trying to attack um, Winona Ryder's uh, friend, uh, Elizabeth um, in the film. Like there's, there's a shot in this film uh, where she is just full out having legs spread full sex with, with a wolf, wolf man. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Unreal. And that's, and that's after too, they have that really amazing like atmospheric part where she's got the red cloak and she's putting it over the statue in the garden and all of that. Yeah. Leads mm-hmm. into this, uh, like it's, the, it's the, actually the overhead shots of, of the, of the maze yeah. that they're running around and like the, it's the mis- silk gowns and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> mysterious and haunting, but kind of gorgeous. And then cut to having sex with a wolf man. Unbelievable. And that also has like when, when Winona Ryder like stumbles upon them having sex and like he sees her and he realizes it's her and then it's that great like shot of Gary Oldman's face like like overlaid yeah. on yeah. the Wolfman. Don't it reminded me of that. Me. <laughs> I wanted to, I remember when I like saw that, um, it reminded me of, uh, and this was definitely inspired by it, but like the scene in What We Do in the Shadows where it's like he can't get the faces right. He turns into a cat. Um, what's his name? Um, fuck. <laughs> I f- fucking forget. Why can't I remember his name? That actor. You know who I'm talking about. The yeah, guy who turns I've into s- cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's fucking <laughs> He can never get the faces right. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's that one. That kind of reminded me of, of one shot in the, in the movie where eventually he kind of gets some of his powers back. So he's able to look like his younger self, but he still has, right. does transformations. And while he's younger, he has this like amazing, long, like curly metal hair. That's just absolutely incredible. And there's a shot where he's turning into the kind of wolf monster kind of thing, but he still has the hair. So it looks like he's got the wolf face, but he's got the long metal hair that he has (laughs) from his 1800s version of his body. And I just, for some reason, that image just stuck with me. I thought it was equally, I mean, there's there's humor to it in a way. I I think it's hugely, I think that stuff's hugely important because this whole idea is that, you know, this guy is both things. He is this this hideous, eternal, 
eternal monster constantly suffering, constantly in pain that you kind of sympathize with on, on, on some level. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, if given the chance, you know, he wishes to just be, you know, like this normal guy. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. wants to be just like this. Well, I mean, with a creepy accent and with, you know, and, and <laughs> of with, course, with a, a, a princely amount of money and everything like that. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's very funny, this idea that, you know, this character who, again, as we mentioned, it, it ups the monstrous qualities and the violence of what he does and how scary he is and what he's capable, the power that he has. Yeah. It, 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 it really emphasizes that. But then also shows you that, like, deep down, this guy literally wants to, like, take Winona Ryder on a date. That's <laughs> yes. That, you know, this that's ultimately his... That's ultimately his his um, his dream, and I love when he first starts uh, arrives in London, and he starts. You know, he's just he's got his big big old hat and cane, and he's got his long hair flowing. And I don't know if you you guys noticed, but the the there's the the frame jumping from silent cinema is in that, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. and it turns out that they really got a silent era film camera to yes! fucking film that. Of course, yes, they did. that was another thing I learned. Yeah, yeah. So, so, cool. so, so they again they wanted to connect it to you know sort of like early 1900s cinema of him walking around. So he's literally like the silent era character, just thinking that he's in a romance story, and then it actually changes to the normal film cameras when he sees her and it's like that right. moment of like oh my god this this is the the woman and Winona is just you know around town thinking about her her husband looking at a <laughs> pornographic <laughs> medieval drawings <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, which, which is always a funny detail. I think Winona really did, you know, again, she she really latched onto the material because of the idea of how repressed her character was and how Dracula kind of, like, freed her almost yeah. a little bit. And you, get, you do get a little bit of that. You get to see her get... Uh, get get pretty crazy when she's like i don't care turn me into a vampire yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she and she's like sucking on his like uh his sliced open uh nipple, <laughs> nipple. His nipple. oh You're my like, god that scene <laughs> is so like crazily like i don't know erotic yeah. like weirdly erotic that inversion of like I don't know her sucking on his nipple. It's like yeah, yeah. and also he, he easily could have like cut the neck and done the classic vampire thing. But I just love how Coppola no, no. was like, no, we're cutting nipple, baby. Let's make That's this what we're fucked. Doing. Yeah, yeah, we're getting a little more perverse. Let's get let's love get this that. Going. Hell yeah, dude! It's it's a it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and and I like too that you know again this th- there's something so sad also about the power because it's so painful and there, there's a part of him that is like my existence is kind of hell like look yeah. at the way like my actual body looks unless I start consuming other people for power he almost doesn't let her right. like she really is yeah the one he almost doesn't want her to do it because he's like I don't want to curse you as well yeah, yeah exactly yeah. So. And, and and also because, you know, he, he sees what has happened to his other wives, the other Dracula wives, the three wives, <laughs> yeah. including Monica Bellucci, who yes. just rises out of Keanu's crotch, just like <laughs> completely naked in like a headdress. What and an they're image. like chanting and licking him everywhere and like uh, uh. combining into like little Cronenberg uh, walking monsters at one point. Yes. And then you even get that like hyper close up of Keanu as he realizes they're about like, don't they eat a baby or something like yes, that? Yes, they, yeah, they, they do. Yeah, they literally, he's like, don't eat my, uh, my, you know, dream girl's fiance. Eat this baby instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it's got this like incredibly exaggerated zoom with, with Keanu just screaming at the top of his lungs. It's just, uh, <laughs> just another over the top quality that I love. Yeah, I love. Yeah. I love. I, 
So his okay. um he just his his um I mean this is like obvious, but just his his whole journey to Dracula's castle and being at Dracula's castle and just oh, how yeah. like unperturbed he is, like like just being like <laughs> like I, I, this doesn't seem right, but I like tweeted something like um, I tweeted like a little meme from Always Sunny with Mac, and I was just like, "This doesn't seem right," but I don't know enough about Transylvania to dispute it. Like <laughs> he's just like, hmm, like this is kind of weird, but you know what? Maybe, like, look, 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 like maybe gets... ahead, maybe Josh. carriage riders can just reach fifteen feet and put you into the carriages. Maybe they can just do that. <laughs> That's what they do in Transylvania. Yeah, like he I gets... love. <laughs> no, I just love when he gets to that, um, that the one people, the people in the one carriage, the humans, they're like, we will not go farther than this. And he's like, well, shit. And then the, I think the other carriage comes by with the fucked up guy with the yeah, like, like demon yeah. fingers knight and the demon knight. And he just like, Keanu just stands there and he puts out his like ghoulish hand and like brings him in. And Keanu's just like, well, all right. I'm going yeah, in. They, 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 they literally just put the actor on a camera crane so that he could reach all the way over because he reaches like 15 or 20 feet over. Yeah. And they were like, do we want to like build a hand and just operate it? They were like, no, let's just move the, the, the guy. And it's a thing I don't think guy. they ever bring up again. Like that knight character isn't really anything. No. It's just this no. like this being that takes you to the castle and there's something just eerie about that that he never brings it up. It's just a part I guess of the the Dracula power, the 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 whole yeah. imagery and everything. It's it's yeah. Just makes mm-hmm. it so I mean so much about Keanu's goofy performance I just feel like adds like an yeah, extra kind of level of enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just I mean, yeah, him just being like chill with everything that's happening <laughs> in the Dracula castle. And then at the very end where like they're eating the baby, just in that whole scene, he's finally like Dude, I, there was like fire <laughs> and shit. Wrong. That was crazy, wasn't it? He's been here for like a month already. <laughs> yeah, it took it took the baby sacrifice for him to realize things were things were not. That right. was the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I I love the focus on like again like again. There's that. There's this surreal. Uh, sort of gothic horror sequencing that's taking place. That's very um, creepy and very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. And then you just have like, you know, interspersed within that, you just have, you know, and and absolutely tied to it, you have the, you know, the the romantic opera at the heart of the story. Gary Oldman says the reason that he signed on to this film, because he actually doesn't, apparently doesn't care much for the Dracula story, mm-hmm. but he said that he read the line, I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Oh, that's like and my he was favorite like, line he delivers. Yeah. Love, that's great. Yeah. great. yeah, so that was it. He was like, I want to deliver that line. It's like, that is <laughs> oh, a yeah. sick line. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's great, because his delivery is spot on. He worked very hard on that line, I could tell. Mm-hmm. He's got yeah, this, and, like, and, and he and turns I, into this, anytime he is is kind of getting into this, uh, like, this seductive or loving thing, he, he channels this very low and almost growly voice, but it has, like, a, a calming whisper to it as well. It's I don't know how he does it, honestly, but it's really good. Or, or maybe there might be a, a bit of after effects on it, maybe, but it, it, it feels pretty natural. So, yeah, just mm-hmm. it, he's he's incredible. Yeah, no, and, and, and his relationship with... Um, 
you know, like trying to pursue Winona is, is it's very sweet and in, in a way, even though he's delivering moody lines, like there's much to be learned from beasts. <laughs> and he's thinking about like turning her and things like that. But then there's like this great moment where there's a split diopter conversation between the two of them where she is, you know, all the memories of who she might have been in a past life are kind of coming back to her. And there's a part where they double expose the part, but the, the space between the split diopter with like this V of the memories of the old Winona, like diving to her death. And, you know, she uh, uh, literally, these memories are infecting the frame and the space between these two Mm -hmm. characters and, and things like that. And it's, you know, it's again, style just pushing forward these emotional things that she's currently um, experiencing because, you know, she's obviously having a flood of confused emotions that she, you know, she's very excited to marry Keanu Reeves, but you know, this, this uh, very mysterious long haired (laughs) Prince Vlad uh, is uh, arising all of these things, you know, from inside her that she didn't, you know, previously know were there. Meanwhile, her friend is just turning into a vampire. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Poor Lucy. <laughs> Poor horny Lucy. Yeah. yeah. Lucy was just, you know, she just, she wanted to get married and she wanted to have sex, but you know, she also wanted like a, like a, a, a gang of really handsome. I cowboys. love that fucking aspect of the story that she's just got yeah. these three boys that like yeah. hang around her and are all in love with her, but they're all like, like hanging out with each other. Yeah. It's yes. like the funniest aspect of the story. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I do love that they end up just hanging out with Anthony Hopkins, yes! Van Helsing, yes, who is just like this, uh, you know, a who shit is this very, server. <laughs> yeah, he he's honestly this very uh, like you know again he's supposed to be sort of like the scientist vampire hunter, but he's very kind of dickish. Yeah, you know, it's like he's it's used to too. all of it, so he kind of makes fun of everybody else for being so surprised by it all, which I th- I think is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, and he's genuinely excited at the idea that yeah. he's got like a vampire to take down, and he's just like, "Your your Lucy is going to turn into a demon whore from hell, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the devil's concubine." <laughs> there's like he this also scene. gets one of my. Oh no! Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, there's the scene where where um I forget when it is, but like Winona Ryder, Keanu Reeves are like sitting down at a dinner uh, to meet with Anthony Hopkins, and I I think. I think it is after they have already gone to the crypt to kill Lucy and like, I don't know if Winona Ryder has been like fully like informed about what's going on or if she believes everything that's going on. But she's like, one of them is like, Oh, what happened? And Anthony Hopkins is just very casually like, yeah, we cut off her head and put a stake in her heart. Like he just says it in (laughs) one breath. Totally. Like he's like eating food at the same time, I think. And I'm like, Whoa, Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Not, I not, think even not Jonathan only that responds. He's the, just the, like doctor. Yeah, <laughs> he does. And and not only that, the scene from the crypt, which is an incredible scene, where they yeah. do they 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 shoot half of it in reverse to give Lucy right. like these really creepy uh, body movements that don't make sense. Um, where they they basically Mm -hmm. filmed her like leaving the crypt and moving up, but then played the footage back. So they're all, so all the characters are reacting to reverse footage, which is actually something that we talked about a little bit in Brian De Palma's Carrie, because he does that to get the feeling in the dream sequence at the end. Um, But, you know, they do this really graphic sequence where they hammer the fucking stake into her heart, blood gushes everywhere, they full out decapitate her, and then it is a hard cut to Anthony Hopkins cutting into the freshly cooked roast yes. beef on the table. Oh, <laughs> such a good point. Yeah. Oh, man. 
I love Charlie and uh, Anthony Hopkins also gets one of my very favorite lines in the film. Uh, Civilization and civilization have risen together because <laughs> <laughs> he's giving a big speech on syphilis to oh. all the doctors, which is obviously something that would be very uh, Im- important to the characters in this film who are having a lot of sexual freedom in their experiences. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's, there's so many crazy detours like that. And also, you know, this is surprisingly like the most faithful adaptation of the story. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. all of these strange detours where like there's captain's logs and diaries and, you know, Van Helsing gets narration where it's like, here's where I entered the picture. Like all of that shit is like from the story. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and it also, again, it gives it another, you know, you're watching something so incredibly well realized, um, in the style, but again, so, you know, modern and old timey and literary and, you know, theatrical and cinematic all at the same time. You know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, one of the most gorgeous movies I think that I've, uh, ever seen. And it very much, um, serves this very erotic, violent um, story of a, of a doomed romance and, you know, anger at heartbreak in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what's the... Um, Van Helsing enters the picture. They kill Lucy, yeah. which is obviously like Love a, like a really huge they get the, sequence. Yeah, they have like the almost exorcist uh, blood throw yeah. up. Instead of vomit, it's just blood all over Van Helsing. And then... And then yes. that... Like the decapitations in this movie are incredibly aggressive, <laughs> very violent. Very violent. <laughs> They're just right into the camera. Like I think you see like five different decapitations in this movie, and every single one of them has extreme detail. Um, yeah, a- Anthony Hopkins chopping all the heads of Dracula's wives and, and then, then holding them yes! heads <laughs> into the sending like, the them river down. Below. Oh my god. Yeah, like that image is is really crazy. Um, they actually steal um, a, an image from uh, Black Sunday, Mario Bava, uh, of the, hmm. uh, the the horse carriage through the through the night and through the storm. Oh yeah! But not only do they do that, they turn it into a fucking like action chase sequence where yeah. there's like some some dudes look like Sherlock Holmes and some dudes look like cowboys, <laughs> and they're literally like firing rifles and shotguns at like a carriage By that is way. holding Dracula's body with a little piece of Transylvanian earth because he can't like leave that behind. Right, right. Do they? Do we know uh, where those guys came from? Like, were they working for Dracula in some way, or was that just kind of a like th- like someone's trying to take our our they 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 mention in dialogue that. Uh, he evades them by not taking a boat the entire way and having right. gypsies pick him up halfway oh, through his okay. trip. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So those those are supposed to be Dracula's gypsies, I suppose. Okay. And yeah, they do a whole battle sequence with them. <laughs> oh yeah, man. It's it, like just horseback too. You got people just riding off of carriages. Like some guy gets tangled up in a string and they I think they at one point they cut off the string so he's released from it and stuff. Like there's some pretty cool action beats in it. That I wasn't expecting because yeah, everything else is just so like horror esque. All the action is involved more around horror and killing in that sense. So this uh, this action beat was kind of out of nowhere, but I think it still suits what what they're doing. I, I mean, I just love how it's so like again, it's through. It turns into like this wintry storm where the sun is rising, so it's like all blue and white and orange as they're you know riding through, and and it does have again precedent in like sort of like gothic horror um, 
which is again they they literally steal the 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 carriage chase right. thing from Black Sunday, which we've covered on the show. But then they turn it into this, you know, we we need to hunt down and kill Dracula. And then when <laughs> yeah. Gary Oldman like bursts out of that thing, he looks more monstrous than he's ever looked. He looks more yes. like like half dead bat version of himself. Mm-hmm. And they're like slitting his throat and he's bleeding everywhere. They're stabbing him in the chest and he's like freaking out. And yeah, I was legitimately <laughs> like grossed out when. And you, because eventually you get to see uh, Ryder. Uh, she comes uh, to to his dying body, and like they have this kind of loving moment and embrace or whatever. And she does kiss him a couple times. Yeah, and yeah. and I will say, I was kind of like, oh, girl, you gotta have some strong love right there, because he's just like bleeding. <laughs> from, he's bleeding yes. from the neck, and he's got his like white, pale, alien-looking face on now, and and yeah. it's just so gross. But I all, all, all the slimy moment. textures of his hairy bat form is just so fucking gross (laughs) there's a thousand wrinkles on his face it's just yes but the love is there the love is there (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that's what I think is so interesting is that they—they they set it up so early on this connection between him and Winona that you totally buy the romance yeah. even when she's yeah. like you know about to make out with the most disgusting thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> You're like, don't don't go near that thing. And they and they they even do like bloody squibs on his body and stuff like that from him getting shot and stuff. Yeah, and like. It's really crazy, um, you know, what they kind of chose to go with. And then they do that, that superimposed trick again, but instead just on his face. So it, like, imposes his old young face on his new old uh, body and, <laughs> and, and face. And, and then they do, like, a, a cut, a quick cut, and then back, and then it turns into the young self. So I thought that was another good practical effect as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I I do love that ultimately the big romantic gesture of this movie this is her cutting off Gary Oldman's head. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I know, right? yeah. <laughs> like, isn't that crazy? Isn't that so perverted? Yeah, Definitely. that it's like you know the, the, he here he is is you know she's defending this pitiful monster that she's completely in love with and they're trying to destroy him and all of the people trying to destroy him have this moment where they go you know we've all become God's madmen you know hunting this down for this centuries old war that we have nothing to do with like this guy you know obviously he's doing horrible things and murdering people but like you know it's not you know at to the extent that we are becoming monsters uh is 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 interesting to them and winona ends up kind of pointing that out to them like will you do the same thing to me yeah like there's there's a person in there and i can get that person out and she does and he's so hideous and frail and covered in blood and the catharsis of their love like breaks the curse and the first thing he goes is he just says, fucking let me die. Yeah. <laughs> Give me peace. Like fucking finish this. I'm so tired I am over and this. old and done with this shit. <laughs> and, uh, so, so the, you know, the, the arc of this is that she has to fall in love with him so that she can shove a sword through his heart and, and chop his, alive. his head off yeah. Yeah, yep. right after kissing him. Oh my. And then you get the great shot of the the portrait of them on the ceiling as his head is cut oh, off yeah. on the floor. To mm-hmm. choir. Oh, it's so oh. damn good. Uh, but pivoting towards the reductive rating round, I think, on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is my um, third watch, and Me it will too. be my first time upgrading yeah. oh, we've all to watched the five. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, because I, nice. you know, I pre- previously I had similar issues that other people had where it was just, you know, sometimes, you know, some of the performances aren't like, you know, the most amazing you've seen in a movie like this. But as 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 an object, I have like nothing but respect for this as as a film, especially too because everyone doubted this film before yeah. it came out. People were saying that this was going to be, uh, it was dubbed another bonfire of the, vi- the of. Uh, it was dubbed the Bonfire of the Vampires, a reference to the Bonfire of the Vanities, which was um, Brian De Palma's like really, really huge bomb of a movie that he had in 1990. Mm. Um, and ins- instead, this movie was well-reviewed. Instead, this movie ended up making money for Coppola. And I think it is all because of, you know, the amount of very clear effort that went into this. They drafted yeah. like 1,000 storyboards. I mean, the effects thing, team wow. didn't even believe in it. They were like, we can't do this. Like the first effects team. like, Yeah, you know. yeah. And, and, and in order to find an effects artist who would actually commit to what he wanted to do, he had to hire his fucking son. Roman Coppola was the VFX <laughs> person wow. for this because he was the because uh, he couldn't a find talent. a VFX artist outside of family who would <laughs> <That's> <laughs> who nuts. would like just agree to go fucking crazy with him because they were like, dude, you don't have to put all this effort into it. There are other ways that you can do this. And he was like, no, no, no. Uh, I want weird shit. I want, uh, that's apparently a quote from him that he gave all of his designers. He says, give me everything Catholic and 19th century that you can fucking find that you think is weird and scary. And I want to fucking see it. And yeah, again, the, the movie, the way that that services this movie that deals in the fear of sex and of desire and lost love and lost time and this sort of like painful, eternal, hellish existence of this this lonely Dracula figure looking for catharsis and escape, which is just death, which is very, you know, nihilistic. Somehow it's a very nihilistic end result, but you feel romantic about it yeah um and he's willing <laughs> sure. to tear limb from limb to find what what he what he lost and the film is just a technical marvel everything about the look i think drives home the operatic unreality um of it and uh that all once again stems from character it stems from Dr- dracula's own godless uh broken heart and uh makes the entire world scary and surreal and erotic and destructive all at once and yeah for me this is uh this is one of the best looking movies ever yes, and a huge yes. achievement uh, that deserves to stand up there with Coppola's uh, other masterpieces uh, in my opinion. So that's a, uh, five. Yeah. That's the thing. Like even if, if some of the, you know, performances and then maybe some of the more, uh, I don't know, over the top aspects of it don't quite do it for you. You cannot take away the fact that this is one of the most gorgeous films ever made. It's, it's incredible looking. I can't, I can't believe every single shot has (laughs) such an attention to detail and they're using so many different effects all at the same time in such a great way. And the way that those effects eventually end up expressing like Dracula's power, his, his loss of feelings, revenge, like all of it (laughs) is, is incredible. Um, and honestly, like any, I am going to give it still like a high four. Like it's a very, very strong four. Um, Although I will say, I feel like all my hangups are just stupid now. Like (laughs) I don't even want to even express them, but I guess I'm still dealing with them a little bit. But it's, uh, I I don't know. I I can't take away the the skill that is involved in this film. It's it's unbelievable storytelling. And uh, yeah, I, I think like even though we were talking about Keanu with these, the kind of uh, odd performance it gives, it does have an element more so of that fish out of water thing. So when he is kind of 
confused and, and doing his Keanu thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it still it still works in an odd way. I'm still very entertained, and I'm never taken out of the story when he's when he's in it or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. I, I guess I get a little bit why people are hung up on that, but I don't know. It's he's really only in it for like ten minutes. It seems that's just say on, on, re- on rewatches for so, me. I'm always surprised at how little, little of the movie has Keanu in it. It's literally yeah. like. 30 or 40 minutes of this over two hour movie. And I think that's because so many people talk about his performance as this like big thing in the movie. And when, yeah, when me and my brother rewatched it last night, we were kind of like, Oh yeah, Keanu is almost barely in this. So to, to the the plot literally gets rid of him for like the middle hour of the movie. So to hang (laughs) up your like dislike of the movie based on just that is definitely silly because it's barely any of the movie. Um, but yeah, th- that being said, uh, high four for now. Maybe I just need a few more watches, which I will be doing over the years because I love this thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I am also going to give it a high four, like a 4.5. Um, it definitely, like, I love it. Um, I think it just kind of, like, I feel like what takes me out of it maybe is I feel like it, it like, drags a little bit. And mm. I kind of like, and mm. is a little bit like that. slow for me in parts um, in a way where I can't like fully, like just fully get into it and give it a perfect score 5.5. But I still like absolutely fucking love this movie. Um, and to your point about Keanu, like not being in it a lot. Um, I've seen it. This is my third time seeing it like you guys. And I had to like Wikipedia whether he dies at the beginning. I was like, <laughs> does he ever come back actually? Like I could yeah. not remember because he is just in it such an insignificant amount. Um, but yeah, no, his performance is just like, I, I definitely like, I remember, I can't remember the first time I watched this, but I remember being actively pissed off by his performance <laughs> when I first watched it. And I had no idea, I guess, the like culture around this movie or like the conversation back then when I had first watched it. Yeah. And I was like, damn, this fucking sucks. And like, <laughs> I thought Winona Ryder, I also do not think is very good in the movie. Like, I yeah, she has yeah, I, 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 I've seen a lot of that too, where that Winona, I think, dodged a lot by just being yes. slightly better than Keanu. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That she's is definitely only what slightly happened. better, but she's yeah. also like similarly not good um, and kind of goofy. <laughs> but again, like, it, it doesn't detract from me at all at this point. I want to give two little shout outs here one to the MVP, Tom Waits. In his role as yeah, Renfield, we forgot Tom Waits. Tom yeah. fucking Waits, who literally gives a better uh, British accent performance than like either of the two leads. I thought that yeah. was very funny. He is he is so good. I love the way um, he's shot too, with those like high angles and just very yes. weird madhouse institutions. Wide angles of him in the asylum, and which really, is just yeah. covered in like blood and dirt. Yeah, and, <laughs> and pe- those guys in like a box he's cage. Bugs. Oh, the box! Like- the boxes on their heads, I guess, to protect them from the insane yeah. people. Oh yeah. My God. So funny. Yeah, um, so. But then I also another thing that I learned. Um, that I then was like paying attention to in this watch. Uh, what I learned from a YouTube video that I watched couple months ago was that the like costume designer i don't know how to pronounce her name um iiko ishioka she's a japanese costume designer and they like talked Mm -hmm. about her in the movie or in the video that i watched she did like um i'm looking at her imdb she did the fall she did mishima yeah she did she's uncredited with mishima a life in four chapters she did dracula she did the cell she did the fall but um they just like talked about (laughs) um her costuming and like that's why I noticed She's I had unreal. never noticed it before. Yeah, but she like 
Um, she did like his robe, which, if you like notice, Ooh. does look like very Eastern inspired. I had like never noticed it, but I think they talked about how they just kind of let her do whatever she wanted. Like they didn't, he didn't really have like I think, I think like much of a um, I don't know, like like guide for her, I guess. But no, they, like, they 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 told her to keep it nineteenth century, but, but beyond she, that, yeah, they, they, they just they just said move, don't do. Uh, like the cape, they said, don't do the cape and don't do like the standard shit that you've seen in like every yes. Dracula, like like a cheap Dracula costume. I love how she's like, oh, I'll Halloween give you store. a cape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I was like looking at it this time because I'd never noticed it before. But yeah, it is very like Eastern looking, um, the way it's like made and the designs on it as well, which is just like, yeah, yeah, fucking rules. Yeah, the, the the filmmaking on display here can't really be understated. I think that this is, in terms of, like, what Coppola and his team did, I think this is one of the most beautiful movies on, like, every level. Like, it's not just yep. the in-camera effects. Oh, yeah. The production design, the costumes, everything, the way that it all creates this. Again, because that just adds to the weird timelessness of it. It's like, where the fuck are we? What yeah. culture is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, again, this is this is a type of movie making that was on its deathbed by the 1990. And this just kind of stands up as a last representative. Yeah. It, this movie basically just died a beautiful death for that kind of movie making. Yep, yeah. And they cut the, the fucking same way that Dracula dies. They cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he got to do hammer horror. He got to do like universal horror. He got to do like uh, gothic 60s stuff. And he turned it all into this extremely erotic, bloody opera with bleeding castles and hellfire skies and horny monsters who express their love by tearing people limb from limb and <laughs> you can't I, 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 you can't beat that in terms of genre fair I, no. I, I don't think so so everything about uh, that was previously questionable for me on previous watch, watches is just it disappears into the background every single time for me yeah. I just get into all the batshit sensual psychedelic bloodlust stuff and I'm like and, yeah. incredible and i'm getting it's getting harder and harder to uh even express why i don't five it so it might get there <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the few movies that deserves the uh the name phantasmagoric yeah. it's overused i think but one of the movies that actually earns that for sure uh, but yeah, that'll wrap it up for, I think, this week's episode. That was uh, Daughters of Darkness from 1971 and Dracula from 1992. Thanks so much, yeah. Brianna, for joining Thank us and for bringing again. these films with you. No problem. If you've got anything to plug briefly, uh, this is where we have you do that. Um, the only things that I have to plug were basically already mentioned, but follow me on Twitter at JustBreeZigs and subscribe to my newsletter, That's Weird, um, at BriannaZigler.substack. Awesome. Hell yeah. Can definitely recommend doing that. All right. For uh, our listeners, in uh, one week's time, we are going to be back continuing uh, Spooktober here and bouncing off sort of Brianna's double feature here. We are going to be talking about uh, vampires. Yes. Once again, we're going to be plugging in an episode that I've had kind of slotted in for like a year or two, but just haven't got around to doing yet. And it made sense to follow up uh, this discussion on vampires with uh, an episode on one near dark 1987, Catherine Bigelow her uh, sort of Western vampire movie hybrid that has a a lot of uh, style and and romance to it in a way that, you know, kind of reminds you of Dracula. And then we're going to be talking about uh, Vampires from 1998, directed by John Carpenter, one of the uh, last um, sort of uh, bigger budget films that he got to do, even though his budget was slashed in the making of it. Um, 
and uh, has James Woods with a leather jacket and a crossbow <laughs> some hunting of the down best vampires ever. and calling them like dickheads <laughs> while he does it. <laughs> I, oh, I can't wait. It's so fun. So that's what we're going to be talking about in one week's time. And then in two weeks time, we are going to have a special guest friend of the pod uh, and artist of the pod, Trevor Henderson. Awesome. He's returning. Uh, and he is going to be bringing with him a double feature of two films I hadn't even heard of. I love and, it. And uh, so we are going to be talking about one, The Midnight Hour, okay. which I believe is from 1985, and then a movie called Lady in White, which I believe mm. is another late 80s Mysterious. film. And I, yeah, I, I, I gave him the uh, uh, carte blanche to just pick anything as long as, uh, you know, some of the, I, I had him pick a, uh, what he thought were kind of like underrated Halloween spooky kind of vibes, okay. what, what gets him into the season kind of stuff. And that was what he picked. Awesome. And, uh, sometimes it's nice to, uh, not know what the hell we're talking about. Hopefully we so, can get our hands on them. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's what we're going to be talking about in, uh, two weeks time with a special guest and might as well throw the third one in there as, yeah. as well for the, for the Halloween episode, the wrap up to spooktober this year on the, on the night before Halloween. You guys are going to be getting the episode that you guys voted for, uh, Phantasm and uh, Phenomena awesome. by Dario Argento, which is uh, going to be a lot of fun um, as well. Is the, so that's uh, what you can expect. Is the fusion there just because they start with PHs? That's got to be it. I, do you know what? I'm not sure because <laughs> I have not seen Phenomena yet, but it very well could be. I've seen Phantasm, <laughs> though, and I like Phantasm. Phantasm's yeah. got some crazy stuff in it. Yeah, I, I watched Phantasm a few years back before uh, the show has even started, and I remember really liking it. But it was also before I really understood these films more so. So uh, I'm looking forward to the rewatch. And uh, when's this episode coming out? This is uh, When are you guys listening to this? Oh, yeah. So uh, also, if any, uh, any of you are listening to this, our... Uh, Virtual screening, the free one that we're doing for all listeners, is going to be on October 14th Yes, uh, at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and we're going to be watching Lucio Fulci's Zombie 3. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah. Movie that none of us have seen, but Lucio Fulci, always fun to watch with a crowd, always disgusting. Yep. So uh, if that interests you at all, October 14th, anyone who's listening to this, patron or not, everyone is invited. Uh, you gonna can be find a party. the link uh, over on the Patreon, uh, and you can also probably find it um, on the Twitter and everything. I've already tweeted it out and everything as well. So come join us. And uh, if you're a patron, you also get another one on October 28th. Yeah. Where we're going to be watching a vampire movie again, Grave of the Vampire, one from the 70s I haven't seen. Awesome. But I've heard is cool. So look forward to Lots all that. Of Lots fun. of spooky stuff. But yeah, I think that uh, wraps it up for everything uh, this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep us easy. Keep us easy.